All right, good to see you uh, on this beautiful, beautiful spring day. Again, if you are uh, new, if you haven't heard it, and we haven't made it clear already, we love it that you're here. We pray that you feel loved and encouraged and welcomed uh, in this place. Can I just say that I love this time of year? Does anybody else love this time of year, kind of late spring, summer? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, praise God, absolutely. It's a great time of year. You kind of feel that, that, that cool breeze that's been blowing the last couple days. Anybody like to open your windows just shut off the air conditioning, and just, especially at night, and just feel that cool breeze moving. Uh, my wife and I like to go on walks at night, uh, different things like that. Just enjoying the weather. Everything is in full bloom. There's things growing. There's things planting. Uh, you can be outside. There's no mosquitoes. Praise. That's one thing I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. Why mosquitoes? I get it, but just a pain in the rear. Um, other than that, I love this time of year. It, it, is, it is awesome. And one of the things that I love the most is working outside and, and, and landscaping and doing things like that. Some of you don't enjoy that, but I just wonder, how many of you, just by a show of hands, how many of you have done some planting or landscaping around your own home so far this year? Quite a few. Okay, go ahead and keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Um, how many of you just love it, like it's a joy for you? Keep your hands up if you absolutely love it. How many of you would rather pay somebody else to do it? That's a drag. Yeah, pretty much everybody else, right? Everybody that hasn't done it, yeah. yeah. Or you're just never going to do it, right? It's kind of split 50-50. Depending on whether you love it or you hate it, there's one thing that none of us can deny, and that is the fact that for anything to grow, you need really good soil. The conditions have to be right in order for it to grow. Yes, it takes seed, but it also takes the soil, and so much of what makes something grow is below the surface, that's the discovery that we've kind of made the last couple weeks. You hear us talk about our landscaping days here the last couple Saturdays and the one we have coming up this next Saturday. Uh, some of you don't know that when we bought this building, it was, it was ugly in front. It had these big blue awnings like a car dealership has and it had this old kind of ramp, concrete ramp that was falling apart. And that's right where we're going to plant these 800 flowers that we're going to plant next weekend. It's not exactly the greatest soil, as we've discovered. We've been over it and over and over it, and we're finding chunks of all sorts of stuff in there, concrete and rebar and everything. And we've tilled it up and tilled it up and tilled it up. Still not very good soil. Let me tell you this. <laughs> If you want a good laugh, how many of you ever used a, anybody ever used a tiller? Yeah, it's quite hilarious, actually. Like a really big one that's like, you really shakes. We, we were doing it yesterday. Who says you can't laugh at church? This, this, we had a couple of volunteers try to run this thing, and they didn't really know what they were getting into. Just having a nice, calm, peaceful church work day, and all of a sudden, he starts riding it down the front of the church, and we're just laughing. You know, we didn't help him. We just laughed. Um, that was the nice Christian thing to do, but it was just hilarious. If you ever need some comedic relief, just have a friend or family member run a tiller. It was awesome. We go over it six or seven times, and it's still not very good soil until, until we brought in the good stuff, until we brought in the nice, dark, rich, thick, black, moist soil. And if I bring that out, I'm going to make a mess out here. It made a complete difference. And it's like, now, now we're ready to plant. Now we're ready for it. We're excited to do that next weekend. And after all of that, everything that we could do, we need good soil to plant. The fact is, growth doesn't happen on accident, does it? Growth doesn't happen on accident. We're not just going to randomly scatter seeds. We're not just going to randomly pick a piece of the ground and just throw seeds and expect it to grow. It takes planning. It takes the right soil. It takes plenty of nutrients and sunlight and water for the seeds. And that's true of whether we're talking about a potted plant or we're talking about trees or we're talking about your heart today. 
And that's exactly what we discover that Jesus has to say about the soil of our own hearts today in our scripture from Mark chapter 4. So if you haven't turned there already, grab your Bibles. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be. If you're new to the Bible, it's in the gospel. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And if this is your first time opening it up, awesome. Today is a great day to start. As, we're, uh, as you're finding Mark chapter 4, I couldn't help but think about dirt and playing in the dirt. Couldn't help about uh, think when I was growing up and when I was a young kid. Um, my mom reminded me of this week that my brother and I love to make a mess of her garden because all young boys like to play in the dirt. So I got a picture for you here uh, this morning. Do you recognize either of those guys? Yeah. It totally looks like my son, Kayla, but it is not. The young gentleman in the red shorts is yours truly. So uh, I'm about two and a half years. You can either go, ah, or just get it out, whatever you need to. Um, we are a disaster. That is what's left of my mother's garden, and we love playing in, in the dirt. And so uh, we would just make a mess and hose it down. And uh, that's a syrup bottle that my brother is holding there filled with uh, mud, and then he would dump it on me as kind older brother does. We're out there. He's about four, eh, four and a half, five. I'm about two and a half or three uh, there. So we're out playing in the mud. I remember this story. Uh, one day my mom comes out and uh, we're doing something exactly like that, just making a mess. And my brother's got this big old shovel, this big spade that's like three times the height of him. And we're just throwing mud at each other and just making a mess. And we're digging and I've got my little plastic shovel and everything like that. And we're just digging and digging and digging. And my mom comes out and she goes, my brother, Nathan, what are you guys doing? And as a typical, you know, pastor's kid who knows his stuff, my brother looks up, sticks the shovel in the ground at the side, looks back at my mom in all seriousness and says, Mom, we're digging into the Word of God. (laughs) So let me ask you this morning, are you ready to dig into the Word of God? Amen? Let's do it. All right, Mark chapter 4. That has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. It's just funny. All right, Mark Mark chapter 4, we're actually going to start in verse 3. We're going to start a little bit before uh, where we heard read this morning. So Jesus starts out, Jesus is telling a parable. Now if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, parable is just another word for a story. Everybody say parable. It's a simple story that speaks to a larger truth. So it's never just really what the parable is about, whether that actually happened or not. Jesus tells stories because he knew that if he was going to connect with us, he needs to tell stories. Some of you are going to go home, and the next time you're listening to a sermon or somebody around you says, let's dig into the Word of God, what do you think you're going to think of? Two little boys playing in the backyard, right? We remember stories, and that's why I don't just stand up here and just give information to you over and over and over again because you're not going to remember it. The human heart craves story. And that's why Jesus speaks in parables. And he uses things that are everyday things around the the people that were living in his day to explain that. And one of those is farming. It was an agricultural society. People know about soil and seeds. So Jesus tells a story. Check out verse 3. And I love it when Jesus starts out a story with, listen. The modern translation is, listen up. Yo. Verse 3. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have any deep roots, it died. Other seed fell amongst thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much has been planted. 
So as with any other parable, this is a simple story that speaks to a deeper truth. And Jesus says this is way more than just about a a farmer planting some seeds. This is about you, Jesus says. Jesus says, because I'm the farmer. I represent the farmer, Jesus says, and I am always scattering seed. I am always trying to get your attention. When you expect it the least, I am always planting seed. I am planting my word, the word that you hold in front of you this morning, are the seeds of my word. And some people are receptive to it. Some people like to duck because they don't want to get hit by it. Uh, But the question is, when we talk about soil, if your heart is the soil and Jesus is scattering his seeds, some of you haven't got hit yet. You're in the back. Um, If Jesus is scattering his seed, what's your heart like this morning? Is your heart like the the floor? It's just hard. It's it's not going to take root. It's not going to plant. Is your, is your garden, is the garden of your heart just full of weeds and distractions that are going to choke it out? So many other priorities going on in your life? Or, as Jesus said, are you the good, rich, dark, black soil that's going to receive this seed and be receptive to it? How do you grow? You receive the seed, you hear it, you accept it, and you produce a harvest. When we talk about growing, when we talk about planting seeds in our heart, let me just say straight up, some of you, this is unfamiliar territory. Because depending on your church background, whether you grew up in the church or not, depending on what current understanding of Christianity you have, you're like, planting seeds, growing? I don't need to grow. What that's, what's that all about? We get this understanding of Christianity that's like, I pray this prayer, Jesus forgives my sins, I try to be a better person, I show up to church as often as I can, and then maybe I try not to swear as much. Isn't that Christianity? And we laugh and we giggle, but for some of us, that's it. And we think, I dropped the kids off at Sunday school. Sunday school is for kids to grow. They really need to learn and grow. But for us adults, well, I'm good. I've prayed the prayer, I show up for worship every week, that's it. And if that is your current understanding of Christianity, man, are you missing out. There is so much more. There is this version of Christianity that we can come up with that we just come for an hour a week and we think, I don't really need to grow. I don't really need to grow. But just as any other healthy living thing, you were created to grow. And depending on your background, whether you have a Catholic background or a Lutheran background, when I start talking about you need to grow, you automatically go, "Uh uh-uh, works righteousness, right? There's nothing we can do to earn God's love, yada, yada, yada. You are absolutely right. What we teach in our core class, we teach around hope, is that discipleship or growing in our faith, all these things that we do, joining a small group, reading your Bible, praying, coming to worship, all these things are a response to, to God's grace. You can't earn something you already have. So some of you are living a version of the Christian life that thinks that God is this taskmaster up in the sky. And if I do my homework, if I read my Bible, if I I have perfect church attendance, and if I pray all the time, then maybe he'll give me a good grade and he'll love me more. Nothing could be further from the truth. I love what Christian author and, and theologian Dallas Willard says. He says this, Grace, the grace that God has for you, his forgiveness for you, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Think about that a second. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. 
You can't earn God's love anymore by doing all these things. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in what God wants to do. He said, I can plant all the seed that I want. And just like some of you this morning, you were like, I don't want it. Sometimes we do that with Jesus as well. He can scatter all the seeds he wants. The question is, are you ready to grow? Are the conditions of your life receptive that even if God wanted to get your attention about something, do you care? Do you want to grow? Is your heart hard? Is it soft? Are there too many weeds and distractions going on? So before we go any further, it might be helpful to say, okay, Pastor John, that's great. We need to grow. However, how do you grow? What, what is Christian growth? What is the point? What does that look like? Well, at Hope, we have this handy graphic that we use. It's been around from the beginning, and it's called the Hope Circle. Some of you are familiar with this. Some of you have seen it before, and some of you have never seen this before. But really what it is, is it's actually based off of this passage from Mark chapter 4, where we read that Jesus calls us to not only hear the word, but to accept it, like the seed in the soil, and then, as healthy things do, to produce fruit, spiritual fruit in our lives. This has been around hope since when hope was 20 people, and there's a a few more of us now, because it's based on scripture. It's not something that we came up with. And basically what it is, it's a way of understanding all of our journeys, our Christian journeys. Some of us are at a point where we'd say, we are more seekers. Some of us would say, no, I'm more of a believer, a follower, or a servant leader. Some of you are at a point today where you would say that you're seekers. You're brand new to this. You're checking it out. You're asking lots of questions. Maybe you've been away from the church for a long time, and that is, that's not great that you've been away for a long time. It's great that you're here. We love it that you're here. We love it that you ask questions. Even if you don't have everything figured out, that is fine. And that's where some of you are at. Some of you have taken that next step, whether it's been through our Alpha class or a Bible study or something like that, and you have placed your faith in Jesus. You would say that you are a believer. At least in your head, you believe that. You understand it. But the Christian journey, sometimes the longest journey for us to take in our Christian growth is from here to here. Some of you believe it up here, but it hasn't taken root, just as a seed goes into the soil, it hasn't taken root and you haven't applied it to your life. Some of you have, and you would say, oh, I'm more of a follower. I'm learning to follow Jesus every day, Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday. And then for some of you, you're saying, I have learned to take ownership of my Christian journey. I am a servant leader. I, I am here to serve. When I walk in on Sunday morning, I'm not walking in going, man, what can I consume today? I hope the sermon's not bad. I hope they sing the worship songs I want. And we're kind of just consuming everything. Servant leaders say, who can I serve? Who can I bless? Who needs love? Who needs a blessing? Who needs prayer today? What can I give away? And you'll notice, what shape is the hope circle? It's not a ladder, is it? It's a circle. It never stops. Even for those of us that become servants, that become servant leaders, what Jesus calls maturity, we don't stop there. Christianity isn't a ladder that you climb and say, oh, now, I'm, now I've arrived. The most mature, deep people at Hope serve. They're giving it away. They're saying, now that I've gotten to that point, I'm not just going to kick my feet up and coast for the rest of my life. I'm going to bring as many people as I can with me. I'm going to start inviting people. I'm going to disciple people. I'm going to get messy in people's lives. I'm going to teach others and disciple others in the word of God. We don't stop and say, well, I've led six Bible studies. I've done my part. 
No, it keeps going and going and going. Who's going to bring the next group of people around the circle? Again, it's not a math problem. It's not a formula. It's a picture of our journey, and that's where we're at today. So my question for you is, where are you at? And what's your next step? Some of you are checking things out, and you need to to hear. You need to immerse yourself in God's word. For some of you, take that next step to believe Some of you have taken that next step to follow. And for some of you, you're leaders and you're not leading. God has wired you up to lead and you're stuck and your faith is just flatlined, plateaued. What's your next step? At Hope, we expect you to grow. Every single member of the church, we expect you to grow. It is not a kid's thing. I drop my kids off and I come here and I get some information. We expect you to grow. We expect you to take ownership of your spiritual journey. That's where we're at. In other words, as you look at that, I hear people say all the time, by the way, John, I want to go deeper. My small group isn't deep enough. My my circle of Christian friends, well, we're just not deep enough, and I want to go really deep. I'm like, all right, put your boots on, because we're going to go deep. You want to know what depth is? Think about 1 Corinthians 13. I think about the Apostle Paul and and, and all the things that he had going for him and all the credentials that he had. He said, I can do all these things. I can lead all these Bible studies. I can know all this Christian knowledge and information. But if I have not love, I am a resounding gong. When you get to that place on the hope circle, spiritual growth is measured by one question. Does my life look more and more like Jesus Christ? today than it did yesterday. I'm not talking, oh, I've led seven small groups and 14 Bible studies. I've had perfect church attendance. That's great. Does your heart break for the things that God's heart breaks for? Are you more compassionate this week than you were last week? Is your, are you developing a hunger and a passion for God's word and for prayer? Again, not to earn God's love. These, this is fruit. This is fruit that's produced You're not trying harder. Does your life look more and more like Jesus? What is your next step? And you'd think, oh, this sounds easy. God plants a seed and we grow. Not so easy. What we discover as we dig deeper into Jesus' parable here is that oftentimes, a lot of times, seeds don't grow. Seeds need the right conditions to grow. We're going to watch this next video, and it's a guy named Robin Newell. It's a guy that's a member of Hope, and he is one of the chief agricultural uh, researchers and engineers at Pioneer Hybrid. He knows a lot about seeds, way more than I do. He knows a lot about good soil. And as he explains to you the science behind how a seed grows and puts its roots down, think about, what does that have to do with my heart? Is my heart good soil for God to plant his word? Let's take a look. My name is Robin Newell, and I'm the forage business manager at Pioneer Hybrid. I've been working with seed in one way or another all of my life. Small seeds contain all the genetic material that they need for their entire life cycle. But in order to get that plant to grow and fulfill its life cycle, you have to start with a seed, and it only brings a small amount of nutrients with it. But it's not going to last very long on its own. Those roots have to get established. The roots start to bring in nutrients from the soil into that very young, tiny plant. And then the plant begins to grow and emerge from the soil. And then we see what we think of as plants, which is the above ground growth. 
from the time a plant starts growing until it really ends its life cycle, the roots have to be there. They have to keep growing along with the plant. And it takes those roots a long time to grow just like it takes the plant a long time to grow. It doesn't just happen overnight. And even some perennial plants can be cut off completely and grow back just based on the fact that they've got all that root structure from which to regrow. If we expect to see a healthy plant above the ground, that plant needs nutrients and water from below the ground and in the soil. And the roots are really the key structure of the plant that brings all those things together so that the top of the plant can thrive. When we plant seed, we don't know for sure whether that seed will come up. We take it on faith. And the better the soil, the longer the roots, the more nutrients, and the better the plant will grow. He knows what he's talking about. We're not making this stuff up, and Jesus understood that as well. Jesus was no dummy when it, could, when it came to agriculture, and I can't get over something that he said. Without the proper root structure, it will not last. It won't grow, and you won't produce fruit, and this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. The next part of the story is Jesus walks us through these three obstacles that come to growth, uh, that get in the way of growth in our lives. One of them is the enemy, that Satan loves to throw obstacles in our way. The second one is distractions and worries and stress and the weeds that grow up. But the one that I want to focus on today is exactly what he talked about, is the root structure. How deep are your spiritual roots? Jesus comes back and, and, and he says this. Everybody say roots. He says this in verse 16. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. And let's read verse 17 nice and loud uh, on the next slide here. Let's read verse 17. But since they didn't have deep roots, they don't last long. It's pretty obvious any seed, any plant, any tree without an adequate root structure isn't going to survive. And Jesus says the same is true for you. And Jesus uses the example of some people when they first come to faith, for a lot of us, I get it. Your faith is a, a lot is based on feelings and emotions. You had a mountaintop experience. I, I went to a Christian concert, or I, I went on a mission trip, or I went to a Christian college, or I, I came to this awesome church called Hope, and I heard a great sermon, and I'm on this mountaintop. But then you go back to real life, and life doesn't get any easier just because you know Jesus, right? Sometimes it gets more difficult. And the pains and the struggles and the worry of the stress in life, they start to crowd it out, and all of a sudden you start to doubt when the winds of this life and the storms of this life come and blow, you're going to tip over if there's no roots. Your faith cannot be purely based on feelings. Some of us come in and we say, you know what? I'm not going to go to church today. Or, or, or you come, you're like, I'm here, but you know what? I don't really feel like worshiping today. It's been a really tough week. Work has been really stressful. I got all these things going on in my life. I don't really feel like worship. You know what? That's okay, because it's never been about you. Worship is not about how you and your, and your feeling. Worship has everything to do with God and who he is and what he's done. And regardless of how we feel, he is worthy of our worship every single day of our lives. Amen? Is your faith based on what God has produced for you recently or provided for you in your life? Or is your faith based on God's unwavering promises no matter what the circumstances are of your life? Do you have an adequate root structure in your life? 
Is your faith based on a leader or a personality or a pastor or a musician? Because if it is, I'm sorry to say, we're going to let you down. Some days I just don't have it. I'm sorry. I'm John, and I'm imperfect. But there's one that's never going to let you down. Do you have your roots down deep in God's promises? So I just want to extend a challenge this morning, and I want to talk specifically for a second to the 20s and 30s in the room, and you can decide if you're, you know, in your 40s, that you can say, I'm still in my late 30s, whatever you want to do, that's fine. I can speak to you on that. But this is me. This is my generation. And I want to speak to those of you that would say that you're young adults, young professionals, young marrieds. I want to speak to you for a second about roots. Because here's the danger that I see, and I see it in myself too. We don't like to commit to anything. We live in a generation that is afraid to put down our roots. And what I, what I see a lot, and I think you could call us, we're the, hell, we're the hot air balloon generation. And we go up and we get all excited, and then, ooh, that looks sparkly and shiny. I'm going to go join this thing. Oh, I have another commitment. I'm just going to go up and float over here and touch down. And when you never really get out of the hot air balloon, get out and put your roots down. We go from house to house or job to job or ministry to ministry or church to church or life group or life group to relationship to relationship with never putting down any roots. And we wonder why there's no growth in our lives because we are afraid to commit to anything. Who's your family? Who are your friends? Is it time to grow up, literally, and put down some roots? What are the habits? What are the things that you need to start doing now? So often we fall into this, people in my generation, the 20s and 30s, we start living into this when-then lie. And it goes a little something like this. When I graduate from college, then fill in the blank. When I get married, then. When, When I'm done with school, when we get our own house, when we have kids, then I'll get serious about my faith and we'll get plugged back into the church and everything will be great. But here's the thing. You can't give away what you don't have. What if the 20s and 30s were the decades of excavation? Every young adult, 20s and 30-somethings I know is like, how can I build my business? How can I make a lot of money and get a big house and, and get cars and have lots of friends and have lots of success? What if success was doing the hard work of digging down deep in your life and discovering who you are and what your identity is and putting your roots down deep and being a man or woman of God of integrity so that when you grow up and in your 40s and 50s and 60s, God's going to call you to lead a family. He's going to call you to lead your marriage. He's going to call you to lead a business or a church or an organization. Are you becoming the kind of person that has the character to withstand that? That's the question. So what are the habits, what are the routines that you need to put in the past and say, that's not who I am anymore? And then what are the habits and routines that you need to start today? Not when and then, now. To start today. What are the things you need to leave behind and what are the things that you need to pick up? Do you have true community? Do you have Christian community in your life? Do you have friends that are willing to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear? 
Those friends are easy to find. Oh, that's fine. You know, you can just kind of believe whatever you want because that's kind of the direction everything's going. And so you just believe whatever, you know, whatever makes you happy. That's not love. That's not true friendship. You know you have a real friend when they tell you no. When they tell you, I'm not going to let you live that way. Do you have a mentor? How are your finances? And again, this isn't a laundry list of all oh, these things I got to do better. You already have God's love. So live like a son or daughter and put your roots down and be family. One of those things for me when I was, uh, when I was in my early 20s, actually even before that, I remember, I was going into my senior year of high school. I was probably, I don't know, 17 or 18 or, or something like that. And, and it became very clear to me the importance of reading the, reading the Bible, of being in Scripture every single day. And this gets back to Jesus' next point here as he says, the seed that fell on the good soil, they heard it, they accepted it, they applied it to their life, and they produced fruit. And I can honestly tell you the times that I spent in God's Word when I was 17, 18, and 19 years old, I can see the change that's happened in my life, and I can trace it back to those sweet times with God. Yeah, I try to do that every day. I try to do it every single week. But I can tell you, there was a moment that happened in my life. I, was, I went to a Promise Keepers conference with my dad and my brother. This men's, men's big men's movement in the 90s that some of you might be familiar with. And we were sitting there with like 25,000 guys in uh, the Target Center in Minneapolis. And I remember this big preacher got up, this big old burly guy, used to be an offensive lineman for the Redskins, turned pastor. Ugh. And... Um, he gets up and he's preaching. I don't remember anything else he said, but I remember this. He grabbed his big old black Bible and he, st- and he stood up and he said, Men! And you know how sometimes when somebody's preaching, maybe this happens to you and you're like, man, John's talking right to me about this. I'm not. I'm talking to all of you, but this guy was burning a hole in my eyeballs with his, right? He, clearly he was talking to me and this big guy got up and said, Men! Do you want to be a real man? And my brother and I are sitting next to each other going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to be a real man of God? And we're like, yeah, he's, read this every single day. Not because it's a, oh, I have to, because it's what you were created for. Men, if you're married, bring your wife along with it and read it together. You want to be a man of God and you have kids? Make this the centerpiece of your family. This is what we do together. We base our lives on this, not what the culture says, not with what all our friends are doing, with what God says, because he created us. You want to be a real man? Here's my challenge, he said. Read this book every single day. God says, put me to the test and see if I won't change your life if you do this every single day. My brother and I look at each other as young, impressionable boys going, Yeah, we'll do whatever you say. Yeah, okay. And I did. And I have moments where I miss it from time to time, but since that day, about the year 2000, this is a regular part of my life. And I know you don't need one more pastor to stand up here and say, well, I went to church, pastor said I need to read my Bible, so now I feel more guilty than ever because I haven't in seven years, you know, or whatever it is for you. You know what I think God says to you today? I just really miss hanging out with you. I really miss being with you. When I started out, I had all these plans, and I'm going to read through the whole Bible in 30 days. I'm going to be a superstar for Jesus. Yeah, I messed up a lot. 
And now it's just gotten to the point where I think God just says, I just want to talk to you. I just want to live life with you on a regular basis. And sometimes in the middle of Pastor John's devotions, I fall asleep. Sometimes the most holy thing that you could do is take a nap. And then I wake back up and then I read some more. And every time I spend with God is different. There's one consistent and it's this. This doesn't go away. This is the foundation. These are the words of God. This is what I want to base my life on. And here's the thing. Speaking guys just for a second, if you want to lead your families well, you can't give away what you don't have. You can't lead people where you're not going yourself. You can't teach people what you don't know yourself. What example are you setting? Are you hearing the word of God? But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, oh, you know, I, you know the, hearing is one thing, but there's two more pieces to this, and there's the acceptance part. There's the applying it to our lives, and yet somehow, a lot of Christianity stops right there. Did I read my Bible today? And hear me say this loud and clear. That is super important. The question is, what are you doing with that? You don't just plant seeds and leave them. The seeds need to take root. They need to apply it to their lives. And somehow we've developed this version of Christianity and of being followers of Jesus that we don't actually have to do what he says. Think about it this way. Does anybody remember the game of follow the leader growing up? Raise your hand if you remember follow the leader, right? You've all played this before, so you understand that, right? If the leader says tap your head, what do you do? If the leader says rub your belly, what do you do? You rub, can you, anybody do that at the same time? I've never figured that out, okay? There's your big challenge for the day, right? When the leader says do this, you do it. But somehow follow the Jesus doesn't work that way. We think that we can be followers of Jesus and just, well, he, he said it once, but I'm not really going to do that. If, if, if the leader says, flap your wings, what do you do? You flap your wings. But in what would follow the Jesus, we just say, well, you know, I'm not that kind of a Christian. I, I'm just going to flap my wings in my heart. Faith is more of a private thing for me. I don't really, I don't have time to do that. I, I really can't make that a priority. What? What kind of version of Christianity is that? I'm just going to flap my wings in my heart. My, my flapping is more of a private. It doesn't make any sense. What if we just, sometimes I just think, what if we just read what Jesus said and then we went and did it? Now I'm talking about you sitting around with your small group or your Bible study or you reading at home alone and Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love, your, as you love yourself. What if you just went and did that? <laughs> what if Jesus says, forgive those who have wronged you? And you called up that person that you've been bitter against all these years, and you forgave him. What if Jesus says, go serve the poor? What if you just did it? What if you helped out with Breakfast Club once a month? What if you just took Jesus at his word and did it? Think about it this way. You remember Simon says, right? If Simon says, do this, you do it. But somehow Jesus says is different. You don't actually have to do what Jesus says. We can just do Bible study our whole lives and never do Bible doing. I challenge you, if you're in a Bible study, at least once a month, make it a Bible doing. What if you read it and then next week said, we're not going to sit around in the living room. We got stuff to do. Seven o'clock, Bible doing. We're going to go do it. We're going to go live it out. Maturity is not how much information you know or how much Bible you can quote. Parents, you will understand this better than anybody. Think about how absurd this would be. If you called your kids and you had a kid that their room was just a disaster and you said, child, because I know this is how you talk to them. Child, number one, as your parent, I am telling you to follow my example, to listen to what I say, and I want you to hear my words, to hear, but I want you to accept them. I would like you to go clean your room. And they say, 
okay, mother, or okay, father, because that's what they always say. They run away, and then an hour later, they come back. And they come back all proud to you, and they say, I memorized what you said. Go clean your room. There, I memorized what you said. I memorized your commands. In fact, what I did is I invited a bunch of my friends over and we got together in my room. We didn't actually clean it, but we got together and we did a little Bible study of what it would look like if we actually, how do you clean a room Jesus style? We didn't actually do anything. And then we learned how to say, go clean your room in the Greek. And we feel really, really deep about this. We're very deep, spiritual, mature Christians. Because I know how to say it in the Greek. What? You, you know, you actually do it. That's not the point. This is why we challenge every single one of our life groups and our missional communities. Is service at the very center of who you are? On a regular basis, are you serving? Hear me say this as we look again at the Hope Circle. As you get to that point in your group, the fruit of your small group the fruit of your missional community, the fruit of your life is not measured by how many Bible studies you've done or how many book studies you've accomplished as a Bible study. The fruit of your group is measured by do you look more and more like Jesus? Do your heart, does your heart break for the people that aren't at your Bible study yet? Are you serving the poor? Are you loving God today more than you did yesterday? Not as a got to, as a get to. We expect you to grow understand what it means to go deep. So not only called to hear, we're called to accept, to apply it to our lives. Just go do it. And finally, Jesus says, you're going to produce fruit. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. Healthy trees produce healthy fruit. Healthy Disciples produce healthy spiritual fruit. And it doesn't happen by trying harder. When's the last time you saw a farmer go out in his field after he did all his planting and standing over his plants going, Grow! Grow faster! Try harder! And yet so often, that's how we do it in our lives. I need to be a better Christian. I need to read my Bible more. That's not Jesus. It's not what he's saying. He said, if you hear my word, if you accept it and you start applying it to your life, I am going to work wonders through you. I'm going to accomplish things through your life that you never thought that you would be able to accomplish. And let me just say this, because when we talk about producing a harvest, I know I kind of picked on the 20s and 30s earlier, so now I'm going to pick on the rest of you especially those that would say you're in the second half of your life or you're nearing retirement or you're already there. I want to ask you this question. What is the fruit of your life? What does your harvest look like? What are you doing with your life right now that's going to matter when you're gone? What is your legacy going to be? That's what Jesus is getting after here with this producing a harvest. And even for those of you in your 20s and 30s, what are you doing now that's going to matter, that's going to last? Or is life all about you and consuming and making you happy and getting what you want? And the same is true for those of us that are farther along in life. I get it. You've led 17 Bible studies. I get it. You've been a part of the church for 30 years. I get it. 
What if your best years of making an impact for the kingdom of God were still ahead of you rather than behind you? What is your legacy going to be? I've heard it said that servant leaders, their fruit grows on other people's trees. Are you in it for yourself and what you can get out of faith? Or are you in it to leave a legacy in the lives of other people? And that's the danger, is that some of you in that season of life are on the sidelines instead of right in the game. And let me just say this loud and clear. We need you more now than ever. Now's not the time to kick back and say, well, we did our part in the church. Now it's time to let those young boys and girls step up and we'll give that young preacher John a chance up there. And then you move to Texas, I guess. I don't know what happened there. (laughs) Yeah, we're called to set an example as young people in the church as well. But here's the thing. There are hundreds of 20s and 30s that are sitting around you today, those of you in older generations, that are desperate to know what a real-life example looks like of following Jesus. They don't want to read a book about it. They want to see it in your life. Is it real? Is it legit? Are you on the sideline? Are you in the game? That's what Jesus is getting after. What is the harvest of your life? I want to end with a hope story today of a man who's living that out better than a lot of people that I know. His name's Craig, and he's a part of our community here at Hope Des Moines. And Craig would have no problem with me saying he's not exactly a young buck anymore. He's getting up there, but he hasn't quit. And he's more passionate about Jesus today than he's ever been. And as you watch a story, ask yourself, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) What is the fruit of my life? Let's take a look. I always knew God was just around the corner for me. And, And... But it always seemed like he was elusive. When I was 36 years old, I reached a point in my life where either had to happen or never happen. And there was a climax point where I was out on a deck one night, and I said, if you want me, come and get me. But take all of me, not just part of me. And he did. My husband prays over our home and and our family silently every single day. When Diane and I first started praying together, we found that our relationship grew stronger and started to image more of him than we realized. I don't really look at different jobs or different places or I just look at being with him all day long. It's not those things that matter, it's him. I think I get excited about work every day because I know that God's going to take me on another adventure at my place of work. What is your role in the body of Christ? Seeing anything that needs done and doing it. (laughs) One of the things that I'm involved in right now and my wife and I are involved in is called Missional Community. What he's done is he brought together a group of empty nesters. We just want to live life together because there's just this time and age of people where their families are spread all over. So we are family for each other in a lot of different ways. And then there's a lot of younger kids, you know, younger generational people at our church who have no family here. So we are going to be their um, family as far as um, just living life together. That's never his desire for you to be anywhere and, and, and not be a light. He doesn't want you covered up. 
Um, he doesn't want you to be a lake. He wants you to be a river. He wants things to run through you. If you're walking with him, he's, he's pouring into you constantly, not for you to keep it, but to flow back out of you. And, and uh, God excites me. Uh, Christ excites me. The Holy Spirit excites me. It's not something that I can sit still. I have a hard time sitting still right now. I want to jump up and, and say it's, it's the greatest thing that could ever happen. Please don't let it pass you by. Please don't let it pass you by. Because today is the day. Not someday. Today is the day. It's never too late to start digging into the Word of God, yeah? It's never too late, it's never too early. And I know what some of you are thinking, you know, John, that's great for you and that's great for Craig, he must be some super spiritual giant guy that really takes us all seriously. You know what I love about Craig? He's imperfect. He makes mistakes. He's one of the most normal guys that you would ever meet. And yet he's real. And I love it that he's a part of our church family here. And I love what Craig said, and if you hear me say nothing else, hear this today. I believe that God's right around the corner for you too. No matter what season of life you're in, it's never too late, it's never too early to get started hearing the word of God and letting him plant it in your heart. What is your legacy, what is your fruit gonna be? We have an incredible God, and he wants to live life with you every single day. We expect you to grow. God's always planting a seed. Are you ready to hear it? Amen?